in Luke chapter 14. And so if you've got a Bible, turn me to Luke chapter 14. I'm going to look at uh, one of Jesus' parables he tells uh, here in uh, in a second. And so, uh, but before you turn there, as you're turning there right now, uh, I'll go ahead and share a story with you. I had a, a friend um, who, I mean, she's still a good friend to this day, but, uh, you know, met her in college. She was a couple of years older, who has a, a pretty... Uh, awesome testimony, right, of how she came to faith and how she's living for Jesus now. She uh, grew up uh, in a Buddhist home. Uh, her parents are from uh, um, Cambodia, which is, you know, east of here, far east from here. Can't drive to get there. You're going to have a long flight to get there uh, from here. But uh, she's from out that way, and, and so she grew up, you know, Buddhist slash agnostic, didn't really, you know, follow any of that. Uh, and she ended up having some friends that shared the gospel with her while she was in the college dorm. She, she ended up getting saved and her life radically changed. See, before that, she was, you know, one who was pretty introverted, pretty to uh, uh, herself, man. But she found Jesus and she couldn't help but to share uh, what she found in Jesus with those that were around her. Uh, and so she was known as a person that was pretty compelling. I met her after she had known Jesus for a little while. And man, it didn't matter where we were on campus, man, she was going to share uh, with that person that she was around, right? Her joy was infectious, right? And the way that she lived her life was uh, compelling, if you will, right? The way that she lived, right, man, motivated other Christians to want to, wanna, you know, live more for Jesus. But the way that she lived her life, man, compelled others, man, to investigate and see what this following Jesus was all about. And as I was studying this week, right, her story came back to my mind and I got to thinking, Brother Tony, I said, man, I want to live a life like that. I want to live a Christian life that is compelling, a life that uh, uh, motivates and moves others, right, to come uh, and taste and see that he is good, as Psalms tells us. I want to live a life, man, that compels and motivates others, man, to see, right, the fact that Jesus is the one that's going to satisfy that desire, man, that you're trying to find, you know, trying to satisfy another Areas. I want to live a life that is compelling. And then I got to thinking a little further, Brother Damien. That's what we're called to live. See, here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you're introverted or extroverted. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for a couple of weeks or, man, have been a Christian for several years. The reality is all of us in Christ, we are called to live a life that is compelling. Compelling. A life that moves and, and motivates others to come to know him. And so Luke chapter 14, we see we're going to see in this parable here in a second, right, uh, uh, that, that Jesus shares here about this call for us that we've got to answer the call to live the compelling Christian life. And that's what I've entitled the message today, the compelling Christian life. Luke chapter 14, if you're there, let me know that you're there by saying there. And we're going to read starting in verse 15. I'm going to go ahead and read. There is what the word of the Lord says. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, it'll be on the screen. You can follow along with us there. This is what the word of the Lord says. When one of those who reclined at the table with him, talking about Jesus, heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Let me go ahead and pause here and give some context. Verses 1 through 14, right, we see the setting is at uh, some religious leaders, uh, one of the religious leaders, his house. 
Jesus is there reclining with a whole bunch of religious and political leaders uh, of the day there in uh, the Jerusalem area. Right. And, and these guys have invited Jesus in really not not to learn, you know, from him, but really to, to keep their eye out on. Him. See, Jesus, you know, he, he did things a little different back then. And so they wanted to keep their eye on and see what see what, you know, this Jesus fellow was all about, essentially. And so, Jesus, what we're going to see here and what you see in the first you know, few verses there is that Jesus reminds them real quick that, that they're not the ones that are in charge of the party that's there. They're not the ones that are in charge of the deal that's taking place, the meal that's going on. See, those religious leaders, they thought that they knew, right, everything pertaining to God. And they thought Jesus was just some crook, some, some dude that was, was way off, way far. But Jesus reminds them real quick, no, 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 I, I'm the one that's in charge here. And so he shows that in verses 1 through 6 by healing a person that was sick. Would you say, oh, man, that's good. Jesus did that all the time. Well, the thing was, it was the Sabbath day, and that was, man, an abomination in the life of the Jewish leaders at the time. He healed somebody on the Sabbath and then tells those dudes, hey, man, if, if one of your kids or, or, or one of your animals fell into the well, wouldn't you go pick them up? Right? Let them know, man, that, hey, I'm the one in charge here. And then he begins to tell, you know, a, a story, a parable, right, pertaining to humility and, and what it looks like to be humble. He says, man, listen, you know, don't, don't be, man, don't be those folks that sit in these high places, right, these, these uh, places of honor, if you will, around the table. See, the religious leaders, they had their assigned seats. Sound like Baptists, brother, yeah? They had their assigned seats, you know, in and around. They, they had these, place, you know, these high places where they sat. And Jesus said, man, hey, don't be like the, no, 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 no. No, let the others, man, the outcasts sit there, because... Here's the thing, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, speaking to being up. And then afterwards, he shares again, and, and verse 15, what we just read, right? This religious leader says, man, blessed be, man, the, the folks that are going to ch- get a chance to eat bread in the kingdom, saying this, man, I can't wait to be able to dine, man, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, man, once I get to heaven, because I deserve to get to heaven, because I'm the man, is what it says, that's the Irving Wasser translation, that's what he was saying, basically. I'm the man. Hey, because of what I've done and who I am, man, hey, listen, I, I'm going to get a chance, man, to dine with those guys. And then Jesus, man, he jumps into a parable and says, hey, not so fast, my friend. And this is what he shares. But he said to him, a, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say, To those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Man, come, the invitation's out for you. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, man, I just got married. I can't come now. Just got married. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, listen, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. 
the compelling Christian life. Why don't we pray together? Lord, we love you. We ask that you uh, would speak to us over these next few moments. Lord, meet us here today. Lord, teach us what it looks like to uh, live a life, Lord, that's compelling, that motivates God and and moves folks to, to come and dine, Lord, at the table with you. And may we all choose to have that that heart, that attitude, Lord, living compelling lives for you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we ask these things all in your gracious and heavenly name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Before we get into the points today, just laying again some more groundwork here. Right. Jesus shares what is known as a parable, which is an illustrative story to highlight a deeper truth. He, he, this was one of the main ways he preached right during his uh, ministry. And we see here in Luke 14 that he gives this parable and he shares about different characters that represent characters right at that time and, and characters today. In the context of that passage, we see him highlight uh, uh, the invitees. He talks about the master, talks about the servant, and those that are out in the highways and the hedges, those that weren't at the bank. We know that and see that the invitees, they represent the religious leaders, man. They were invited to, to come, right? This banquet, by the way, represents, you know, the kingdom of God. That's what it represents. They were invited to come and be a part of the kingdom of God. They were invited to come, man, and, and enter into this relationship with Jesus. But we see that, man, they ended up not coming. Why? Because they didn't think they need to. I'll go ahead and throw this in for, for no charge here, right? Sadly, there's a lot of folks that fall into that, that same category. They don't think they need to accept the invitation to come to know Jesus. Maybe they're like the religious leaders here, man. They were righteous enough. They knew enough. They, they felt like they were taken care of so that they didn't need to accept the invitation. We see the invitees, right, that are, taken, that are talked about here. We see the master, right, represents God the Father. We see the servant represents God the Son, Jesus. And then we see those in the highways and the hedges, right, those, uh, man, that were... Losers, nomads, far off from the banquet, get invited in, and those people represent us in here. Man, aren't you glad, right, that the invitation was given to us? Man, we didn't deserve to be at the banquet table, but the invitation was given to us to come and dine in fellowship with Jesus. Aren't you glad for that today? We see the characters, right, that are highlighted here in the text. But we also see, right, within this passage, a call for us to live the compelling Christian life. And so with that being said, I, I just want to highlight two points and then we then we'll be going to the house or going to lunch. Shoot, we might even beat the rain, you know, that's coming here in a minute. We might even beat the rainstorm. Two points on what it looks like to live the compelling Christian life. And then and then we'll be out to, uh, today. The first truth, right, that we see here from the passage and what it looks like to live this compelling Christian life is this. Us making the decision to choose not to be like the invitees. Simple. If we want to live a compelling life for Christ, another way to phrase that, maybe you're, let me give you another way to say it. Maybe you're confused how I'm saying that there. If we want for our life to preach, right, to those, right, that are far off from God. If we want our life to preach, man, the way that we do that is choose to not be like the invitees here in the passage. We see, man, that they made excuses. We see, man, that, that they had a, a, some poor reasoning as to why they did not accept the invitation to jump in. And join in the banquet. We got to choose not to be like them. Got to choose not to be like them. And choose to be folks that accept the 
invitation. What does it look like, real quick, for us not to be like the invitees? First and foremost, it's this. It's choosing to be people that eliminate the excuses. Eliminate the excuses in our life. It says here in the text that these guys that were invited, man, they, they said that many of them had excuses as to why they all of a sudden couldn't come. They grafted up, crafted up some excuses as to why they couldn't come. As I mentioned earlier, right, the excuse of the religious leaders, right, and why they didn't receive Jesus was because they thought they were good enough, religious enough. Thought that they had all that they needed, if you will, wealth and fame and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it was just excuses. Hey, if we want to live a compelling life for Christ, we've got to be folks that eliminate the excuses in our life that keep us, man, from drawing close to him. Keep us from walking in obedience to him. What are those excuses in your life? Whenever I think of excuses, I think of my time when I was in grad school. Those of you who may be new, went to grad school in New Orleans, lived in New Orleans for a few years, a seminary there. And uh, while I was there, one semester I took a, you know, a boatload of classes, you know, I was trying to get ahead. At that point in time, I was just trying to get out of there. You know, I'm thinking, man, if I can just finish, the quicker I finish, the quicker I can move on to what God has for me next. I remember I was, this one semester I was taking a boatload of classes, and Brother Tony, I'm not going to lie to you, man, I pat myself on the back. I was, I was killing it. Man, had good grades. Man, knocking out all my assignments, things were great. One of my favorite classes that I had uh, was a, a class, you know, basically New Testament 101, where, you know, walk through backgrounds of, of all the New Testament books and, you know, history and all that. And I loved that. I ate all that up, man. Big history nerd. And so, man, I was cruising in that class. Had a, you know, 98, you know, which is, you know, a high A in the seven-point scale. I'm, I'm cruising. Cruising. Well, I remember, you know, our teacher, our professor talked about there being an extra credit, you know, uh, option. Uh, for, for students, if they wanted to boost their grade up, you get like an extra point or two added to your final grade if you went to it. It was like an hour seminar on some, something I wasn't interested in, <laughs> to be honest with you. And so uh, they said, hey, if you show up to it, man, just sign your name on a list and you'll be good to go. And I said, man, I don't need that. Man, I, I, already, got, I already got a good grade. I'm going to focus on my other classes, man. I'm, I'm good. Well, you know what happened. Come time for the final. Right, I had like a few finals in one day, and I said, man, I'm good in the, in the New Testament. Man, I'm just going to show up and be good. Well, that was a mistake. Final was harder than all the other tests. I ended up getting like a C on the final. And it bumps my grade down, Brother Jim, to a 92, which is an A everywhere else. It's an A, you know, my whole life. But on a seven-point scale, that's a B. And so I'm thinking, well, you know, not worry about it. I'm pretty cool with the, with the TA. You know, I, I, I know her pretty well. So let me, you know, go ahead and shoot her an email, give her a call, see if she can raise my grade up. Because here's the thing. I had A's in all my other classes, which is you're thinking, oh, man, that's great and good. Hey, listen, that was a huge thing for me. Legit, that was going to be the first time I had A's, all A's, in a semester since probably the third grade. I'm not even going to lie to you. Third grade. And so I'm thinking, man, I got to get this grade bumped up. Well, talk to her, all this stuff. And she said this, man, she said, well... Sorry, you know, Irvin, there's nothing we can do for you. You know, you had the opportunity with the extra credit class. You could have jumped in and be a part of that, you know. And, um, and so that was the only thing that we had to offer there. And I was saying, well, <clears throat> that's pretty fair enough. You know, I used the excuse that I had good grades to go and play basketball instead of going to the extra credit deal, and I ended up paying for it later. Say, Pastor, what does that have to do with this? Here's the reality, man. There's a lot of folk, a lot of people in this room, maybe that are using excuses, right, that have a, a lot loftier of a payment than one of just missing having all A's in a class. 
maybe you're in here, right, and, and you're using the excuse of, you know, you're good enough, right? And that, that excuse is keeping you from surrendering your heart and life to Jesus. Maybe you're in here and you're using the excuse of, man, I'm, I'm too busy to choose to be a part of serving God and, and, and being a part of His work. Maybe you're using the excuse of, man, I... That, that whole, whole sharing the gospel thing, man, that's only for the deacons and, and the pastor and stuff. Using that as a cop-out from sharing with that lost friend that you know God's put on your heart for months and months to share with. If we want to live compelling lives for Christ, if we want our lives to preach, we've got to choose to be folks that eliminate the excuses. Eliminate the excuses. Why? Man, out of our love for God. Our love for God. Our excuses outweigh our love for God and our devotion to Him and wanting to do what He's called for us to do. And so we've got to choose to lay down the excuses. Here's a question, a couple questions today. What excuse is keeping you, man, from repenting of your sins and receiving, man, the invitation to dine with Him? Is it inconvenience? Is it a fear of having to surrender your life? Man, what excuse is keeping you from that? Hey, here's another one. What excuse is keeping you from running to the Lord, man, in your mess today? What excuse to keep you from doing that? Is it pride? Is it thing that, man, I could figure it out, get this thing solved on my own? Even though you're stressed out and at your wit's end? Hey, hey, here, here's another one. What excuse is keeping you from being the man of God or the woman of God that God's called you to be for you and your family and your kids? What excuse is keeping you from responding to the call of the Lord as He speaks to you, man, to go and share, to go and witness? Man, choose to lay those excuses down. Choose to lay them down. And choose to walk in obedience. Man, we've got to choose to eliminate the excuses. But secondly, we've got to choose to lay aside the hindrances. After the parable talks about how there are several folks that gave excuses as to why they couldn't come, the, the story, Jesus gets real specific about the three that have these excuses as to why they can't come. He says the first person, hey, I can't come, man. I've got this land, you know, that I got to go check out that I just bought. You know, I got to go check out, which, by the way, right, was a lame excuse. If he if he looked to purchase that land, he would have checked it out months ago before buying. You know, I know 2022, it's a different world, man. A lot of folks are buying houses without even looking at them because they're going so quick. But back in the first century, man, they hey, they would have checked it out. They would have checked it out months in advance. And so that was just a lame excuse after not being able to go. Oh, the next person, man, I got this auction that I bought, man. I got to go check it out, you know, uh, make sure they're good, you know, before I slaughter them. Another poor excuse, same reason. He would have checked them out months ago. And then this third dude had the audacity, man, to use his wife as an excuse for not going to the banquet. Dude said, oh, man, I just got married, man. I, oh, sorry, man. Here's the thing. All three of them, they knew about this banquet. They were invited months ago. Then all of a sudden they bring up this excuse as to why they can't come. Right? If we want to live compelling lives for Christ, we've got to lay aside the hindrances. Hey, here's the reality. These things became hindrances to them. All good things. Great things. Man, having land is awesome. Man, having cattle, you know, an oxen is awesome. Man, being married is awesome. But the thing was... Here it is. It was a matter of prioritization. The truth of the matter is they prioritized those things above, right, being with the master at the banquet. And we can fall victim to that too. You say, how so, Herb? How, 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 what happens there? You, you ready? Listen. Whenever you choose to elevate the gifts 
that God's given you over the giver of those gifts, that's when you find yourself in a mess. That's when all of a sudden those gifts, those great things become, man, hindrances in you choosing to walk with him. And so the call is to lay those aside. I already know what you're thinking. How do we, Pastor Earth, how do I do that? Man, I, I can't just lay aside my kids and my wife. It's until death do us part, man. I can't just lay aside them. I can't just throw them off to the side, right? I can't just leave my job or lose my job. You're right. You can't. But what you can do is reorient and reprioritize. And say, you know what? Loving Jesus, right, and him being first enables me to be a better parent. And so I'm going to choose to love him first, prioritize him first. It, loving Jesus and putting him first and him being the center of my life allows me to be a better co-worker. And so I'm going to choose to loving Jesus and putting him first allows me to be a better friend. And so laying aside hindrances in regards to that, those things that I just mentioned, man, it, it, it's choosing to say, you know what, I love them, but I'm going to choose to love Jesus more so that I can love them better. It's about prioritization. It's about prioritization. And so what does that look like for you in your life? Maybe it's not the family. Maybe it's a pursuit of riches. Man, it's good to have money. But you know what 1 Timothy 6 says? Hey, money in the root of all evil. The love of money is. Man, if you simply live a life pursuing riches at the end of the day, you're going to come up real empty. Because here's the thing. You've heard it said before, and I'll say it again. Listen, you can't take it, you can't take it where, you, where you're going anyway. Maybe it's choosing to excel, right, and, and you know, uh, move up in your job. I know we got military guys in here, right? Excelling, right, and moving up in employment's a great thing. Having a job is great, being able to take care of your family. But listen, if you prioritize that over, man, the Lord that gave that to you, you're going to end up worshiping that thing and you're going to find yourself in that. And so choose to lay aside the hindrances in order to follow more closely to him in order to live this compelling life for him. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Some uh, translations say encumbrance. Some translations say hindrances. Same meaning there. And sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race That is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In order to run the race well, in order to live a life, man, that's compelling others to come to know him, we've got to choose to lay aside, man, every weight that uh, may keep us from being fully invested in him. So... What does that look like, man? What good thing needs to be laid aside for God's best in your life? What needs to be reprioritized in your life so that, man, you can get to living a compelling life for Him? What does that look like? Listen, we've got, we, we don't need to be like the invitees that came up with excuses, that talked about these hindrances that kept them from dining at the table. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. But rather, and this is my second and last point, but rather, we've got to choose to be folks that are like the servant. 
a like servant. Go, go back to the text here. Make sure you, you know that I'm not making it up. After these excuses were shared within this parable, right, the story that Jesus shares, he says this. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Man, the call for us is to live like the servant. Here's the truth today. The compelling Christian life consists of a life, man, that is devoted, devoted to walking in obedience to the master. Right? That's what it looks like to live like the servant, man, to walk in obedience to the master. And so are we doing that today? Doing that today. Living like the servant looks like walking in obedience to the master. Whatever he's calling us to. Whatever he's calling us to. Which, by the way, can I remind you free of charge here? Right? That all of us who know Jesus, we're called to be folks that share the hope of Jesus with those that are around us. All of us are called. Second Corinthians 5, for context, if you need that. All of us are called to share. And we see the servant here respond to the master's request to go out to the highways and the hedges and share. And so in the same way, we're called to share. We're called to walk in obedience to him, compel others, right, to come to know him. What does that look like in your life? All of us are, are surrounded around folks that do not know Jesus. All of us are surrounded around people that don't have any hope. What does it look like for us to be obedient to the master and respond in sharing with them? The call for us is to go and compel them. That word compel, right, it, it doesn't speak of uh, uh, force, if you will, like, hey, man, hey, come follow Jesus or else I'm going to beat you up, you know. Doesn't talk about that. That's not what it speaks more of to consistency, right? There's, there's a consistency in you, man, stepping into relationships and sharing with them. Right, there's a consistency in you following up and sharing with them, right? It's a plant another seed. It speaks of consistency in your communication of the gospel. And so what does that look like for you? Are we being obedient to the master? I love this quote from Leonard Ravenhill, right? That speaks to obedience, right? In maturity. Look what it says. It's on the screen here. It says this. Maturity comes... Right? Maturity in Christ. It comes from obedience, not necessarily from age. Maturity comes from obedience, not necessarily from age. Man, I know a lot of folks, man, that are mature in their faith, even though age-wise they're a little bit younger, just because they've said yes to the Lord whenever He's called on them. Instead of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, making the Christian life all about philosophy, right, and knowledge... They understood, man, hey, I'm going to walk with God, spend time with Him, and whenever He calls me, whatever He calls me to, I'm going to say yes. And and I've seen folks that are super mature. Maturity, right, in the Christian life comes from us choosing to be obedient when God speaks to us. To choose to respond, whatever that looks like in our life. I love this other quote, too, speaking of maturity. It's not on the screen here. Uh, Speaking of obedience, rather, uh, and what obedience does is from Elizabeth Elliot. It says this, it is Christ 
who is to be exalted, not our feelings. Which, by the way, right, whenever we choose to be obedient to the Lord and follow him, right, he's exalted. Whenever we choose to neglect obeying him, our feelings are what are exalted. Who we are is exalted. And the Christian life's about him being high and lifted up, not us. And so the call for us is to be obedient. It is Christ who is to be exalted, not our feelings. We will know him by obedience, not our emotions. Our love will be shown by obedience, not by how good we feel about God at every, at any given moment. And love means following the commands of God. Like Jesus in his conversation with Peter. Do you love me? Jesus asked Peter. Okay, if you do, feed my lambs. He was not asking, how do you feel about me? For love is not a feeling. He was asking for action. Man, our obedience to the Lord expresses our love and devotion to him. And so the call for us is to be obedient to him. And I'm glad Jesus, by the way, exhibited that obedience, right, by forsaking his own feelings and going to the cross so that we could have life. So that he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so the call for us is to walk in obedience and sharing the gospel. I already know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, Pastor uh, Pastor Irv's talking about, man, being a witness again, sharing the gospel of Jesus. Man, isn't that his job, right? Isn't that what he's supposed to do? Like I mentioned earlier, isn't that what the deacon's supposed to do? Man, there ain't no way I could share the gospel, man. You don't know the people I hang out with. Hey, I I get it, man. You know, I like to play, I've talked talked about before, I play ball, you know, I like to play ball here in the city. The other day, man, we were playing at this place here in town, and man, there were some tough dudes over there, man. And I remember thinking, ain't no way I'm going to share the gospel with them. They're, they're going to give me a two-piece, knock me out right there in the middle of the court there. Ain't no way I can, can share with them. And what I've come to find out, right, uh, really the two biggest excuses, this is a quick aside, two biggest excuses as to why we, we don't share, why we struggle to be obedient to the Lord, I think, you know, they can be summed up in, in, in two words. Competency or lack thereof and condemnation. Competency or lack thereof, right, is the thought, man, I, I don't know enough. I, I can't share because I don't know enough. I don't know enough of the Bible. I, I don't know enough verses here. You're kind of like Moses. Remember in Exodus 6, whenever God was calling him, hey, to go out and, and, and let the people of Israel go in Egypt. And Moses was like, man, I, hey, I can't talk. God, man, I, I stutter too much. I can't talk. Right, and God ended up providing his brother Aaron, to, you know, to go with him. Right, but the call for him was still to go. Even though you may lack competency, you may be new to the faith. Hey, God is able to provide, man, the words that you need to say whenever the time comes for you to share. And so the call is still there for you to go. Maybe, you know, your excuse is condemnation. Maybe you think that, man, I, I'm not good enough. Man, I know God saved me, but listen, I'm not good enough to be a part of his army, if you will. I, as the Bible said, though, number one, you're correct. None of us are good enough. But as the Bible said, that doesn't neglect the, the call for you to be able to step out and share, right? Instead, man, because you're not good enough and, and God received you into his family, man, that ought to motivate you even more so to compel others to share. Understanding what Psalm 103.12 says, man, that, hey, our sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Understanding what Romans 8.1 says, man, that there's now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Understanding those realities ought to motivate us even more so to share. And so, man, those are just excuses. Lay those excuses aside. 
There's a world out there, folks, man, that are far from God, that are, if, if they were to die today, are going to spend forever separated from Him. And God's allowing us to take part in His work. And so the call for us is to step out in obedience to Him. May we, here, I'll say this and then I'll move on. I'm, you know, getting a little fired up here. May we never find ourselves too content in us alone being right with God that we're not motivated to go and share so that others can get right with Him. May we never be too content in, in the fact that we're right with God, i.e. hoarders of the gospel that we aren't motivated to go and share with those that need it. That, that we don't respond to the message of the gospel. Man. we got to be folks that respond in obedience to Him. And then secondly... And lastly, what it looks like, man, to be like the servant is, to be folks that are urgent in this call, man, to live out on mission for him, right? That passage speaks to, man, a sense of urgency. The master, that language there, it's in the imperative mood in the original language. Man, it it is speaking to, man, a call to move. There's not enough time. Go immediately. Go immediately. Don't just be satisfied in the house. Go immediately and share There's a sense of urgency that is there. And we too ought to have that same sense of urgency. The urgent call of the gospel ought to motivate us to be persistent in our connection with others in order to share with them along with our desire to communicate the gospel with them. I love the quote from Jim Elliott uh, that that says this. uh, Elizabeth Elliott's husband actually says this. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hill. Every situation you believe to be in the will of God. Basically meaning this, wherever God has you, man, be all in there. And live with a sense of urgency, man. Looking, man, to connect with folks that are lost so that they can hear the good news of Jesus, man. They can hear the good news of Jesus. Let's choose to be folks that are like the servant. Man, the compelling Christian life right, is one, man, that seeks to walk in obedience to the Lord and answer his call to live out on mission for him. And so, man, what is he calling? I can answer that. He's calling us to be folks that are out on mission. But personally, what is he calling you to do? And, and what is the response? What's your response going to be? What, what are you waiting on? The call for us is to respond. A couple take-home thoughts, and then we'll be done this Morning. A couple take-home thoughts that they'll be out here on the screen, right? Just to kind of really sum up this passage here. The first thought is this, that the reality is God's patience is going to run out one day. We see that in verse 24, man. He, he just keeps it real. Folks in here that are neglecting, right, uh, continuing to wait, receiving the invitation to... Have Jesus as Lord and Savior in your heart, man. Hey, God is a God of grace and mercy, but one day His patience is going to run out. And so, man, choose to receive Him today. Those of us in here who are neglecting, right, choosing to follow God in obedience to share with that person that doesn't know the Lord, man, one day His patience is going to run out. Man, one day, hey, if we don't share and don't plant that seed, that person may not ever hear the gospel. And they may spend forever separated from him. 
And so understand that reality, man. God's patience, man, will one day run out. The second one, which is good, this, this is a little more encouraging. You know, it's a little more encouraging. See here in the passage, the second truth is this. There is still room at the cross for anyone who believes. There's still room at the cross for anyone who believes. Here's the thing. I, I think a lot of us, the reason why we don't share is because we don't believe this. Can I just be honest with you? We, we may cognitively, you know, understand this thought, but, but we don't believe it. Man, in the parable, it says the servant went out to the highways and the hedges, right? Which represent, man, people that were far away from God. And that context represented, the, you know, Gentiles, you know, folks that weren't Jewish. Being invited to the table, man, folks that, that were losers in society. On this side of eternity, man, anyone has an opportunity to respond and come to faith in Jesus. So for us who know Jesus... That ought to motivate us to share. Ought to motivate us to share. Man, there's still room at the cross for that annoying neighbor that you know needs Jesus. Amen? There's still room at the cross, man, for that co-worker that you know is far from God and God's calling you to share with, but but you've neglected sharing. A person you work with. And so, man, choose to share. Choose to share. And then thirdly and lastly, the last take-home thought here. Is this, man, to choose to trust and obey. Trust and obey. I think for a lot of us in here, the reason why we're not living compelling Christian lives, we know Jesus, but our Christian life just simply consists of coming to church every now and again and getting our Jesus fill in. The reason why we've become content in that is because there's been a point in time where we've lost this call to choose to trust and obey. When God speaks to us as we walk with Him, right, and calls us to whatever He's calling us to, man, even though it may not make sense, the call for us is to trust and obey. When, when God moves and speaks to us through His Word as we're spending time with, with Him in His Word and His prayer, man, the call for us is to trust and obey. Simple as that. Going beyond all the philosophy and all the, you know, all this knowledge pertaining to the word man the call is simple for the christian to trust and obey we used to sing a song right in, in baptist life brother ed called trust and obey right uh, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in jesus than to trust and obey and so for us as children of god man may that be our heart man to trust and obey and obey man god's calling on your life to be the husband and, and the wife that he's called for you to be, man, to be the parent that he's called for you to be, to be the student, co-worker, to be the one on mission, and choose to trust and obey. With heads about a nice close, I'm going to ask for the band to come up here as uh, we conclude our Come to uh, concluding our service time. For those of you who may be new with us, this is our, our time of response. Um, you know, in James chapter 1, uh, James, the half-brother Jesus who wrote that book, he, he, uh, he, he says it this way, pertaining to our interaction with God and His Word. The call for us isn't just to be hearers of His Word, but, but doers of it. Meaning this, that there's always a call to respond whenever we encounter the Lord and His Word. The intent of you being here wasn't just for you to hear the, the word, let it go through one ear and out the other, man, the cost to respond. 
And this morning, right, as God's speaking to you, there, there, uh, there may be a, a way that you need to respond today. Maybe you're in here and, man, your response needs to be for you to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. You've been thinking because, man, you are uh, righteous enough, good enough, um, that you'll maybe make it to heaven one day because, you know, the good that you've done is outweighed the bad is the reason why you, you don't need to accept the invitation. But can I tell you, the reality is it's not. Man, we're not good enough. God's standards perfection and we missed it. But the good news is, man, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the punishment of our sins through that death, burial, resurrection. So that if we believe in him, man, we'll have life. You can turn and trust in him today. Hey, there's still room at the cross for you. You don't have to try and conjure your way into a relationship with God or try and manipulate your way to it. No, you, you, can, you can surrender and choose to believe in Him. Maybe that's your response today. Maybe you're in here and your response needs to be th- this morning for you to not be like the invitee, man. You need to lay the excuses down, man. Eliminate the excuses. You need to lay aside the hindrances, man, that are keeping you. Man, from being obedient to God, man. Maybe you're in here and God has placed people in, in, in your life. And you're, even the names are in your heart right now, in your mind right now. That you know, man, need, need Jesus, need the gospel. And maybe your response needs to be to run to the Lord and ask for prayer, for boldness. Man, the good news is, as Proverbs 28.1 tells us, the wicked flee when trouble pursues, but the righteous, those of us who are in Christ, are made right in Him. The righteous are as bold as lions. So we can walk in this boldness that comes from Him. Maybe you'd ask for Him to give you a sense of urgency. I don't know where you are today, but I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, you respond. You respond. When I say amen, we're going to stand and we're going to sing that great old hymn, My Jesus, I love thee, declaring our love for Him. And maybe you need some additional prayer this morning. Maybe you've got something going on in your life. I would love to meet you down front here and pray over you. Brother Rick Bradley, our chairman of deacons, is in the back. He'd love to pray with you. But listen, you respond today. Let, let's be folks that, that live compelling Christian lives for the Lord. Man, I don't want to be known as one that just coasts into eternity. Just escaping hell's flames, as it says in 2 Peter, man. Not having nothing to show for my life. I want to be one, man, that, that lives a compelling life, man. Choosing to draw others to come and May we choose to have that same life. Why don't you pray with me? Lord God, we love you. We thank you today, Lord. We thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for the invitation that, uh, God, you gave to us to to feast at your table. Lord, and, and so with that, I pray that we would be like the servant, Lord, that invites others to come to the table. That compels others to come to know you as Savior and Lord. And I pray that we would not be like the invitees that have all these excuses. And God, we have a, our priorities out of order on what we value, Lord. I pray that we would choose to value you first. God, that would lead for us to eliminate the excuses, Lord, and to be all in and obeying you. Because you're worth it. Those folks that are far from God are worth it. Walking in obedience to you is worth it. 
God, help us to live compelling Christian lives for you. I pray for those in here who don't know you today, Lord. I pray that even right now you would meet them where they are, Lord, and show them that there is nothing that's better. There's nothing that compares to having a relationship with you and walking with you. God, I pray you continue to move this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Why don't we stand and sing together and you continue to respond as the Lord leads.